The B2B sales world is in turmoil. Quota attainment is down. Revenue growth is slowed. Turnover is up. All of this is in the face of ever-increasing pressure to perform. Is it a surprise that the average sales leader stays in place for only 12 to 18 months? That's barely enough time to start executing the strategy. These problems are fixable, and we are going to serve the sales leadership community with this show. I'm Lucas Price. I've launched and exited B2B startups and built elite sales organizations. Now I want to give back by bringing you this podcast, Building Elite Sales Teams. It will be full of actionable best practices to help you excel as a sales leader. We're going to burn the churn. Let's get back to winning. Building Elite Sales Teams is on. We're joined today by Wesleyan Whitaker, the founder of Transform Sales. We have a great conversation upcoming about how to provide the guidance and development resources to your sales managers to help them, ex- them excel at leading your sales team. Wesleyan has important insights to share with us about the importance of enabling those frontline leaders to succeed. Wesleyan is a dynamic professional with over 20 years of experience working with global corporations, combining scientific knowledge with behavioral-based strategies to empower sales teams to excel. She is known for her expertise in sales coaching techniques and building sales enablement cultures. Wesleyan empowers high-performing teams and resolves customer challenges through problem-centric training. Wesleyan, thank you for joining us. What else should our audience know about you? I think that one thing that is quite interesting about me is that I'm a recovering chemist. So I actually started my career as a um, chemist working in the petrochemical lab. And my background in chemistry really helps me be very process oriented and help people get from wherever they are to where they need to be. I love that. I can see how that would give you insights that other people might miss that little bit of different kind of training that most of us don't have. It's really helped me throughout my career. And when I first stepped into sales, I stepped into working in very technical environments. So most of my colleagues actually had technical degrees. They were engineers, they were chemists, they were geologists. So I thought it was normal. And then when I moved outside of the world of chemical sales and really stepped into this um, place of entrepreneurship, I realized how different it is yeah. to have this technical background. Yeah, that's great. I'd like to start off by getting into the topic of investing in the development of sales managers. Many companies struggle with inconsistent quality across their frontline leadership. What are the reasons for that? When the rubber hits the road, when it's down and we're in the the end of the quarter and you're like, what's happening here? It's, oh, we're not hitting our numbers. And so what organizations do is they go to the most tactical things that they can do. They drill down into the CRM and they're like, oh, our proposals aren't converting enough. Let's get everybody training on negotiation or how to do better discovery meetings. And so they push all of that down into really blaming the rep for their lack of knowledge, lack of training. And the managers get to take a back seat and say, yeah, we should do that. Let's do that. But what's happening is these managers don't have the core skills that they need to actually hold a team accountable. And even when you train sales, the people, the managers sit at the back of the room and they're like, ah, yeah, I've already learned this. I've already done this. They don't absorb the new information. So it's really this lack of self-awareness that organizations have to realize the way that you grow, you scale, you build stronger culture is through the people who are actually touching the individual contributors. So impact them, influence them and develop them. And that is how you really develop your organization. 
So if an organization is thinking, I want my sales managers to become better, I want them to upskill, I want them to become better leaders and better coaches, what are the first things that they should be thinking about in terms of how to do that? So when you think about, okay, I have never invested in any kind of training or development for my sales leaders, and I realize they need something, one of the first things that you should do is sit down and have open and honest conversations with them and ask them, what are the the skills? What are the things that you feel that you're missing as a manager? And by opening it up and allowing them to just flow and say, I don't know how to do this. I'm very uncomfortable here. I feel very insecure with this, or this doesn't make sense to me. What you're doing is you are able to develop an individualized coaching and development plan for those managers. And you are practicing what you want them to do because that is exactly what they need to do for their reps. They need to be able to ask their reps, hey, what are the challenges you're having? What things can I help you upskill? And so they can then have individual coaching plans. Yeah, I love that. I think there's two things that come to mind with that. One of them is I think in a lot of companies, managers won't be eager to say, this is what I'm uncomfortable with. And I guess maybe I'll combine them together. I think like one of the things I realized at some point in my career, maybe it took me a little bit to realize this, is that my boss is going to be more comfortable with me as a, an employee if I tell him the things that I'm struggling with instead of hiding the things that I'm struggling with. And so one mm-hmm. of the things I'd like I try to let everybody know is, hey, if you are always telling your boss everything's great, that's what's going to make your boss uncomfortable. Exposing what where you need to be better is not the thing that typically makes your boss uncomfortable. And then the other part that I would combine with that is that I think as a leader, when you're trying to get people to open up, telling stories about how you've learned and how you've made mistakes and had to go through these learnings, I think is lead with vulnerability. I think Brene Brown says, I think like having that vulnerability is a way to get your management team to start talking about, yeah, that these are things that I'm struggling with too. Any other advice that you, you'd have on that topic? You hit the nail right on the head. When you open up and you share your stories of how you struggled. So anytime I kick off a training, anytime I um, am working with a team, I literally start and I tell them, I'm like, so when I first became a sales manager in the first six months, we weren't hitting our numbers. People were leaving and it was horrible. And I just wanted everybody to be just like me because I was great. And so I wanted to create a team of mini me's, but that didn't work. And so it took one brave salesperson to say, hey, Wesleyan, the reason why people are leaving is because of you. I was like, but I'm amazing, but I'm great. What what do you mean? And really for me to look at myself and be introspective and realize that my job was no longer to be the amazing person. My job was to teach everyone else how to be their own form of amazing. And so when I tell that story in a training, literally I kick the training off. It brings everybody's anxiety. It brings everybody's barriers that they have that are all the way up here completely down because they're like, oh, she's human and she gets it. And so when you're in that conversation as a leader, as a CEO, as really the person at the top, you have to show that I've had moments where I wasn't the greatest. I've had moments where I had to ask for help and you lead with that. And when you lead with that, you're opening it up to allow that other person to say, I have been struggling with this. And it really lays the foundation to have an open and honest, not just conversation, but a relationship. Yeah. 
A lot of times sales managers are promoted account executives or salespeople. And so if, if you're, and I think it's like a really healthy culture to have, I would say a mix of outside sales managers and promoted sales managers. You want to show your account executives, you have a, a career path. You want to, the knowledge, the internal knowledge that they gain as account executives, you want to keep that within your organization and not just bring people in from the outside. I think having I think promoting internally is really healthy for the culture. But when someone is a new sales manager, they haven't done the job before, what are some of the things that they might, they might have seen someone do it and so they think they know how to do the job, but they actually don't. What are some of the shortcomings that someone promoted from sales might have that they would, they would particularly need help with? So salespeople, and this is a general statement, I don't mean to offend any of your listeners, yeah. but Typically, a salesperson is pretty selfish and they are very focused on hitting their numbers. They're focused on their customers. They're focused on their individual goals. And so when you step into management, it's no longer about your goals. It's no longer about what you need to do or what you need to accomplish. And so that's a mindset shift. And I really think that being an effective manager is pretty, it's probably like 80% mindset and 20% skill set. So once you are under that, under the veil of, okay, I have to shift the way that I think about everything. I can't just go in and close this deal for my rep. I can't just do the work for them. I can't just always be there because then one, I'm going to burn myself out. And two, I'm never going to really grow this organization that has self-sufficient people. So what a new sales managers should do, and I actually teach this to salespeople too, when you get into your job, the first 30 to 60 days is all about research. This is my chemist brain, right? So it's all about research and data collection. So as a new manager, you need to be having conversations with your salespeople. So you need to be asking them questions on what are the things that really make them tick. Go on calls with them to see how they interact with their customers in the field. Ask them lots of questions. It's literally like doing a discovery with a customer. You're doing a discovery with your salespeople. So you can learn about them. And as they're telling you the, the things that are important to them, you're hearing them in the interactions with their actual customers. You should be developing your playbook of the areas that need to be developed within that person, the things that you feel are still gaps for you that you don't really know so you can invest in training and development for yourself. One of the things I see, I think some of us were salespeople. Again, I think that sometimes that little bit of like selfishness around my time and how I spend my time and stuff like that can be valuable to a salesperson. Now you're put into a different context. Now you're a manager. And, and I think like one of the things we know is that the best managers, let's call them servant leaders, they put their team above themselves. But sometimes there are people, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a fatal flaw in the person as much as them not understanding what the transition means. Sometimes you give that person, that salesperson, a little bit of authority. Now you're a sales manager. And, and instead of seeing themselves as a servant, they see themselves as a boss and they start to yeah. abuse it in the wrong ways. Maybe that's a little bit a version of the journey you went through when you first became a sales manager. How do you help a sales manager see what the right way for them to, to be is in that role and how the ego can get in the way and cause them problems instead of helping them? 
When I think about how do you get into that mind frame, one of the things that I do every single day, even now as a business owner and as a leader of my own team and my organization, is my question is, how can I show up and serve today? So I literally ask myself that question, how can I serve? And if you put yourself in that mindset of how can I serve, how, not how can I be served, not what can I do, it helps you even ask those questions. And so sometimes I literally will send a message to my somebody on my team and I'm like, good morning, how can I serve you today? And initially they're like, this is very weird. Nobody asked me a question like this. Am I about to get fired? What is happening? And it's, I'm like, no, because I know as a leader, my job is here because you're out there in the field selling. You're out there spending nights away from your family. You're doing the hard work because as a manager, I don't have to do those things anymore. And so I want to show that I value you and I want to help you. And so it's a mindset shift in how you show up, the things that you say to your team that gets you from that big ego, that dictatorship to really into that servant leadership mindset. When you think of like organizations making the decision, we want to invest in, in developing our managers. What are the first things that they should do to enact it in their organization? First, if you really want to develop your managers, you got to start with data. There are lots of different tools. There are lots of assessments and evaluations that you can use out there to assess the health of your managers, the health of your organization. And you really want to understand how effective are my current managers. And you want to know how effective they are. And based on their effectiveness, how long is it going to take me to get them to the level where they can be 100% self-sufficient. So that's the first thing that you do. And once you have the data, you understand the areas that they need to work on, then you come up with these individual coaching plans, right? And so that individual coaching plan is for the manager as well as the team. I believe it's important to teach, train, coach managers and teams together because a lot of times managers were never given the core sales skills they need to succeed. So they're just doing what worked for them. And so giving them the really good fundamentals so that they can then impact their team and hold them accountable is really important. And you also need to work on the soft skills of the managers. So it's the tactical, how do you sell? How do you manage? How do you do one-on-ones? And it's also the, how do you develop empathy? How do you have difficult conversations? And all of those things are really what organizations need to do to get their managers from where they are to where they need to go. Maybe you can clarify one thing for me. So you talked about an individual coaching plan. As you get that data, you're probably going to see certain trends across your organization. These are 80% of our people need help with this one particular topic or 30% need help with this other topic. So how do you think about like groups versus individual in that situation? I really like to build cohorts. So when we work with organizations, there can be anywhere from 10 to 30 managers. And so when I say individual coaching plans, it is for that individual, but the data should be aggregated so that you see the things that different people need to work on. And so based on the areas that people are deficient on, I actually like to group them together. And depending on the size of the organization, you have anywhere from two to maybe four, five groups. And it's not about tenure. It's not about geography. It's not about any of those things. It's about skill sets. So if I have a group of leaders that have probably 60 or 70% of their, what I call their sales management DNA, they're above a 70%, I'm putting all of them together because that means that 
there are very few things that need to be tweaked. If I have another group of managers that have about 30% of their sales management DNA, I need them to be grouped together because what happens when you have really strong managers and you put them with really weak managers, the weak managers never really get what they need because they're scared. They think, oh, okay, I can't ask that question because this person knows what it is and I'm going to feel like I don't know enough. And so when you group people together by their skill set, what you do is you allow everybody to feel like they're on the level playing field. And so they all have the opportunities to work together. As a company's thinking about investing into sales management development, what are mistakes that are common that they should make sure to avoid? Giving up too quickly. I think that is the number one mistake that organizations can make. Sometimes when I present the data and I say, hey, these are the the gaps, these are the, the areas of deficiency that I see in your organization, I have literally had people say, sounds like I need to get rid of all my managers because they're not meeting the mustard, right? Is that what you're saying? I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there are development factors that need to, to be there. And so it's important for companies to understand that it didn't take you two months to get to for your managers to, to be this way. So it's not going to take two months for these areas that they need to work on to be fixed. Yeah. So don't give up too quickly. Give whatever coaching, development, training program that you're investing in, give it time. See and celebrate the small wins. Celebrate the small changes that people are making because it's all about squeaking behaviors, one skill set at a time. So if you see them doing something that you've never seen them do before, congratulate them for that. Appreciate that, them for that and really make sure that they understand that what they're doing is positive. Underlying all of this is in order to make something like this work, I think you have to have a culture of learning, of a bit, willingness to change, to get better. If a company is struggling with that in their culture, how do you think about what they would do to start bringing that as part of the everyday part of their culture? This starts from the top. And so upper management, they need to be the change that they want to see. Instead of just having very tactical discussions, instead of only having meetings with their managers when things are going bad, they need to show that, hey, I'm having a meeting with you or I'm having a coaching session with you and I really just want to up-level you. I want to share this book that I'm reading about how to communicate more effectively with my employees. And so I'm reading this book and here are some of the insights that I've gotten. I'm curious, do any of those strike anything with you? Is there anything in that I mentioned that you can use within your day-to-day? Really showing that it is important for me as a leader to grow, to learn, to do. And so I'm not asking you to do something in theory. I'm asking you to do something that I do. And so that change really comes from the top. Getting out of that tactical, we missed our numbers. It's bad. I'm putting people on pips. I'm doing this. I'm doing that too. Okay, we missed our numbers. Let's drill down into the data. Let's figure out together what we need to do to hit our numbers next quarter. You made the point a couple of times about the short-term versus the long-term thinking. And I think like one of the one of the realities of being in sales leadership or being a salesperson is that so many of the activities that you're doing are to affect this quarter. And you have to do those activities. But the truth of the matter is those are just finishing something that's already in motion. And the real proactive activity is not about this quarter. It's about one, two, three quarters out a lot of times. And so you have to be, have the sense of urgency about this quarter, but at the same time, reserve a spot for, and this is how I'm going to make sure that future quarters, we're going to excel and get better as well. 
Absolutely. Because when you think about how your sales cycle works, if you have a sales cycle that from person's initial interest all the way until they sign the contract, they buy the thing. If that's two weeks, then it's okay to always be thinking short-term, right? It's okay to have that very short-term focus, but that's probably 10 to 15% of how sales cycles work. Even if you sell something that is a very inexpensive product or service, People start doing the research six, 12 months before they pull a trigger. Like I literally just activated software that I did a free trial for 15 months ago. And so in that 15 months, I've been searching, I've been doing. And so when we step into the eyes of the buyer, we realize that long-term focus of what we need to do to nurture our prospects, nurture our customers, get our customers to buy from us again, get our customers to review us. If we think about that and we employ that internally and say, okay, we know that it takes about 15 months from the time somebody first gets the idea in their brain for them to purchase. So I want you to think about the long game. What are we doing? What seeds are we planting today that we know in 15 months are going to come out to sell? And that's not the only thing that we focus on. We also need to focus on what's happening this quarter, this month, but there needs to be a balance in the short term and the long term. Don't only focus on long term and don't only focus on short term. Really have a nice pipeline where we can see that steady growth. And part of that long term is thinking about skill development. And this kind of is taking us back to the management, but to the, the management coaching. But I would imagine a big part of what you're doing is helping sales managers become better at coaching those seller skills. Absolutely, 100%. I find that people can mean a couple of different things with the word coaching. When you think, what is a good coach in your world in sales Mm. management? So for me, a good coach, I think one of the the taglines or the things that I say often is a good coach coaches to the conversion. They don't coach to the output or the input. And so what you do as a coach is you're focusing on, again, I like to say individuals because many times we just say, oh, the sales team, oh, the organization. And we don't realize that each person within that organization or that team has unique needs and they have unique challenges. So as you are looking and you're like, okay, I need to have group coaching for my entire team. I also need to have one-on-one sessions with each person. As a good coach, you balance the tactical and the soft skills, the same thing that upper management should be doing for sales managers. So you're looking at, and I always say coach to the conversion. What does that mean? So as you're looking through the pipeline that, okay, for 75% of the team, we are our conversion rate for the past quarter has been 25%, where in the previous quarter, it was 50%. We have a problem from inbound lead to getting that first meeting. So let's focus on that. What are the soft skills that will impact that? What are the actual hard tactical skills that we need to focus on? So on the tactical side, we need to focus on contacting people faster, making sure our emails are effective, all of those things. We also have to think about the mindset. What is holding you back from actually sending a cold email or sending a call to that person that came in? Why is it taking you 35 minutes to write the email to a brand new prospect, right? So really understanding what the individual needs as well as what the team needs. And when you have a group coaching session, which I like to call instead of sales meetings where we're doing KPI updates and pipeline reviews, let's coach on hard skills. So coach the team on the hard skill that you need everybody to um, work through. And then during your one-on-ones, focus on the soft skill that you need to up-level that individual so that the hard skill that they're working on 
actually moves faster. Is there a difference between coaching and giving feedback? Yes. So when you're giving feedback, it's, hey, John. So I went in and I saw that you did this really well, but you also did this and this. So next time I want you to make sure that you focus on this, focus on that. It goes back to that dictatorship, if you will. Yeah. Whereas coaching is, hey, John, I noticed that the last couple of deals that you converted, you closed as loss. Share with me a little bit more about what happened. Allowing the salesperson to talk and you get their thoughts, their ideas, their opinions. And based on what they say, that is where you focus your coaching on. You don't tell them what they did wrong. You don't tell them how well they did here or there. You really focus on the things that they are saying that they need to work on themselves. You're making sure that a person you're coaching is identifying the gap and you're helping them think about what they can do in order to close that gap rather than identifying it for them and telling them what to do. That is actually one of the keys to how you build a team of self-sufficient salespeople that don't ask you 50 questions about every little thing that happens that goes wrong. You would get them to figure out, okay, I get to think about this strategically. I get to think about the things that I did wrong and how I can fix it. So that cements in their brain because you're allowing them, you're literally coaching them out of the hole that they may have gotten into instead of telling them what to do and what not to do because it just goes in one and goes out the other. One change I made many years ago that made a big difference in my effectiveness as a coach and a manager was at the end of the discussion, they've identified the gap. We've talked about idea. Really like ending every discussion with what the follow-up plan is and what the communication plan is and making sure that they own the follow-up plan and the communication plan. And it's not going to be me saying, Wesleyan, how did it go? How did it go? How did it go? Like they're going to change some behavior and then they're going to report back to me or they're going to report back to whoever their direct manager is or who, but that made a huge difference is just clarifying at the end of every conversation, this is who owns what part of this. And this is going to be the communication plan on what happens. It creates the accountability where people know that they have to do something and they have to take ownership of it and own it themselves. And it's, I, I feel like for me personally, it's made me much more effective as a coach to include that at the end of every coaching conversation. There has to be action. A coaching session is not impactful if there's no action. Otherwise, it's just, oh, okay, we had a conversation. Now go off and continue doing the same wrong thing. Give them an action item with a due date. And if they don't fulfill what they said they were going to do by that due date, then you have to hold them accountable, right? It is our job to hold our salespeople accountable to own development, to the action items that we've come up with, that they've come up with. And again, that makes them take ownership and that makes them feel like their development is something that you really care about because everybody wants to feel like they are important, like their development, their growth matter to you as a manager. Is it something common that you see where people, organizations say, yeah, we have a coaching culture. And then when you dig in, you realize they actually have a feedback culture. It, it's even worse than that. It's more, yeah, we have a coaching culture. We have one-on-ones with our with everybody every single week. And it's more like these one-on-ones, they're just beating the, the reps over the head with data, with what they're not doing. And so I guess you could say that's a feedback culture. They're not allowing people to move from one place to the next. And one of the things that I really ask, I'm like, okay, so tell me what your one-on-ones are like. Okay, so every single week, you, that's what you're doing. 
And what's the outcome of that? Oh, okay. People are still not hitting their numbers. They're still not making, uh, having as many meetings as you want them to have. So we drill into that. And I really help the, the prospect understand the challenge is not the tactical things the reps are doing. The challenge is we're not making, uh, we're not empowering our managers and we're not allowing them to hold their teams accountable. How do you start to change that from a feedback culture to a coaching culture? So what I do is I really like to allow them to see the mirrors. Again, I'm going to step in and I'm going to watch these one-on-ones, a couple one-on-ones that they're doing, a couple group team meetings or whatever they want to call them. And I take all my notes and then I say, okay, so next week I'm going to have, I'm going to conduct the meeting and I show them exactly what I'm doing. And after we, I show them how to conduct an effective team meeting or group coaching session, I ask them, tell me what's the difference you saw with the way I did it versus what you did. So I am coaching them too, right? I am doing, I, I am actually practicing what I want them to do. And so they give me all their feedback and then I give them the elements. I'm like, these are the things that you need to include. This is what you need to do. And at the point where they're ready. So I usually do two or three of those. And then I let them conduct it themselves. And at that point, they're like, okay, Wesley, what's my feedback? Okay, what did I do good? What did I not do good? And so they're getting it in their brain. They're like, okay, I can see, I can feel it. And their team is more engaged. Like when you have these coaching sessions, these meetings where people get to talk and share their ideas and they know that they're heard and they know that they you care about their development factors, it opens it up from everybody being off camera, not talking, the manager only talking, to people openly and actively sharing, people trying to connect with their colleagues offline because they're like, oh, I didn't know you were working with that kind of customer. I need some help with the person I'm working with. Those things are so important. When you have a manager who's going through this transition, I was giving feedback and now I'm coaching and I'm being taught like a methodology coach. Do you ever see the sales reps wondering about if, I don't know, like maybe uh, they might not articulate it this way, but I've seen like them feel like maybe they're being manipulated because this methodology is being used on them. Have you run into that at all? Typically, I don't run into them feeling like they're manipulated. I run into the resistance of the, so the resistance I get are usually from top performing sales reps or sales reps that have gone through a couple iterations of managers. So I call it that PTSD, right? They've gone through a couple iterations of managers. It's hard for them to trust anything new. And a top performing salesperson, they just think that they're great and they don't need to be developed. Uh So when the manager is starting to change, they're like, I don't need this. I'm already amazing. And so it's important to meet people where they are. I literally say a top performing salesperson, they're hitting their numbers. You ask them to do something and they do it. I like for real, just leave them alone. Yes, they need to attend the training. Yes, they still need to be coached, but don't spend all your time with them like we often like to do because they're the ones hitting their numbers. Give them the freedom to run their business, build their business in the way that they need to and focus on the small tweak because a top performing salesperson, you can make a small tweak or help them see something a little bit differently And it gives you like a 10, 20x return on your investment because they get things and they're already moving at a really good pace. Yeah. So one thing I've seen before, and I'll just, I'll I'll come to you like I'm your client. Hey, Wesley, and I've been working on coaching. I've been coaching my team. One of the people they asked, they rolled their eyes at me the other day when I asked them a question and they were like, are you trying to coach me? 
And I, I was just asking him a question, what should I do about that? Where now I'm talking about coaching a lot and trying to get better as a coach and telling them I'm trying to get better as a coach. And now sometimes when I ask questions, they roll their eyes at me and ask me if I'm trying to coach them. So I will ask them, I'm like, so if I am trying to coach you, is there a problem if I'm trying to coach you? And they say, yeah, I don't want to be coached. And so I just want to understand why, because there's an underlying reason, right? Either they have had a, a really bad coaching experience in the past, or again, they feel like I don't need to be coached. But I, I usually find that happens less often. The rolling their eyes, I yeah, I'll get that. Because they're like, oh, I know this. I understand this. And if I, I pay attention to the body language, if I see somebody rolling their eyes, I'm like, did I say something that made you uncomfortable? Did I say something that you didn't really like? I saw some body language that suggested that. And they may be like, no, I just, that's how I think. And I'm like, oh, okay. Or they're like, I already know this. I'm like, great. Why don't you teach it to me? If, if you know it, just teach it to me because I'm open to learning new things. So I push it back on them to try to figure out where they are and how I can get them out of that zone, that realm of where they are to where they want to go. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us today. I think that the conversation around how to invest in your sales management and starting with the data and figuring out what skills need to be up-leveled was really great. And Really appreciated your insights around the difference between feedback and coaching. I think that's something a lot of sales organizations need to think about and need to focus on. So appreciate you being with us today. I appreciate you being with us today, Wesleyan. Thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure to share with you and your audience. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. Please remember to give us a five-star review. And if you want more information about Yardstick, you can find us at www.yardstick.team. You can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn by searching for Lucas Price.